Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Conversations with B'nai B'rith. I'm CEO Dan Mary Ashen. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to Conversations with B'nai B'rith wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate us, too. We always appreciate your feedback. And of course, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and like us on Facebook for all of our latest content. My guest today is Alberto Dorfson, B'nai B'rith member and president of K. Dorfson, the company behind the world-famous Panama hat based in Cuenca, Ecuador. K. Dorfson was founded in 1939 by the first generation of the Dorfson family, which arrived in Ecuador, among the three to 4,000 Jews who fled there, escaping the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust. Famous for its history and quality, the Panama straw hat's traditional weaving became part of UNESCO's lists of intangible cultural heritage of humanity in 2012 as an important world artifact. Alberto Dorfson is former president of the Jewish community in Quito, Ecuador, and a grandson of Holocaust refugees. As head of K. Dorfson, he has helped modernize the company, introducing new hat shapes to adjust to changing fashion trends and new manufacturing processes to make the hats more environmentally friendly. Alberto, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Well, I have to say, we've hosted many different guests, from astronauts to ambassadors to innovators in various fields. I think this is the first time that we've interviewed a hat maker, and we're glad you're here. If you can, uh, take us back to the life and the work of your family in Germany before Kristallnacht or the November pogroms. Before fleeing Nazi Germany and arriving in the Americas, was your family involved in, in the hat business or the clothing industry? And what was it like uh, having a business in Germany in the 1930s? My family, uh, my grandfather and his brothers uh, had a business to take care of hair products. Uh, and uh, they were quite successful in Munich uh, and they were uh, developing uh, products to dye the hair and basically hair products. And uh, since they were living in Munich, they felt uh, the Nazi movement early in the game. And uh, they already in 1935, they started plans to leave Germany. Their initial reaction was to go to Palestine. My grandfather went to Palestine to look for uh, how to settle there. And he, his wallet got stolen in, 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 in Palestine, and he went to the British police and uh, to claim that his wallet was stolen. And finally, nobody did anything. So he left uh, Palestine saying, you know, I don't want to be in a place where there's no police. And went back to Germany where there was too much police. And then they started uh, wondering where to go. And in the same year, an uncle of mine, or great uncle of mine had a Panama hat because he bought a motorcycle. So it occurred to them to come to Ecuador and to come to the Panama hat business. That was really what started the, the connection between the family and the Panama hats. And they Ecuador at that time offered visas for people who worked in agriculture. And this, uh, you know, working in the Panama hat business qualified it. They got a visa to come to Ecuador, and that's how they got here. Uh, with one hand and uh, with really not much capital, they started the business. One of the uncles managed to uh, go to New York. Uh, he settled there, so he was the one selling the hats. 
and his siblings were uh, supplying them from Ecuador, and that's how the business started. And that's why we are in Ecuador, no other reason. So when they arrived, there were other Jews coming out of Germany who were going to Ecuador. What businesses were they in? And they, I guess you were all in kind of the same boat in terms of being newcomers. Uh, not everybody, uh, I'm sure, had agricultural visas. Maybe they came for other reasons. Um, tell us about what that community was like uh, at that time. Most of the Jews came from Central Europe, uh, mainly Germany and the Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia. And uh, most of them got our cultural visas. And uh, that's how they got here. And once they got here, they started uh, working. A lot of them in agriculture, most of them learned agriculture on the boat coming to Ecuador. And they started in agriculture, and soon they went off to do some commerce or industry. But uh, most of the visas in Ecuador uh, were in agriculture. The ones who came from the Czechoslovakia, uh, Ecuador had a war with Peru in 1941. And Ecuador had bought weapons from Czechoslovakia, and they couldn't pay the debt. So they had a program which they swapped. Uh, you know, uh, the Czech uh, Jews would uh, deposit their crowns in, in, in Prague and they will get their local currency here in Ecuador. And that's how the Czech Jews got the visas to get here. But most of them came on our cultural program. Uh, did most of your family get out? All of the family? Were there any who were left no, behind who perished in the Holocaust? Many perished in the Holocaust. Many, And my mother, my father at that time, he was only... Uh, 13 years old uh, in 1938. And from my mother's side, uh, it was a lot more difficult. She came out from Germany in 1941, from uh, Germany to Spain and from Spain to Cuba. And then Cuba, they were detained until the boat left. And basically then they came to Colombia. So they had a lot uh, tougher time getting out always with the help of Jewish organizations, mainly the Joint and the highest. What was it like coming from Middle Europe to Latin America, um, totally different country, uh, different surroundings, different weather, uh, tropical diseases? How, how was the, um, uh, the integration into, into life uh, in Ecuador? Uh, was, it, was it smooth? It, the gap between the first, it was love at first sight. You know, Ecuador was a, is still a very friendly country. Uh, they, they had all these exotic fruits and everything was very cheap. And for them, since it was so underdeveloped, for them it was easy to adopt and to make a new living. So for, for most of them, they came, they started working from the first day little language, but with a lot of uh, work and hope and effort, they most of them managed to do well. Uh, and uh, there was a program that the Hayas uh, and the Joint established a cooperative to lend money to the immigrants. And this was most of the seed capital that everybody got to, to start their businesses. And I would say most of them were very successful. And um, when uh, you started in the in the business, um, you you were living in Quito, but the business was in in Cuenca, correct? 
That is correct. The reason uh, the Panama hats are woven in Cuenca. Uh, originally, the Panama hats were woven in the coast of Ecuador. And in the 1800s, there was a very big drought in Cuenca. And people had little income from agriculture because of the drought. And they taught uh, people how to weave hats in the Cuenca region. And it really became the center where Panama hats are made. And that's what attracted my family to go there because they knew that they wanted to do the Panama hat business. And uh, they got there, they, uh, they started organizing themselves September 1939. And from the very beginning, they managed to export already to their brother in New York. Uh, he was, because of the war, they could not export either to Europe or to Japan. So the first years of the business was basically exporting to the U.S. Some years later, the war ended, and they were able to, again, tap the markets of Europe and Japan, and the business started growing very fast. You know, now, we, uh, curiously enough, there were three Jewish immigrants doing the same, uh, because they were locals. They also doing the Panama hat business, but three this attracted to a British uh, uh, Jew who was in the uh, in the British embassy in Quito, who also got into the business, and also another American uh, person who, uh, who started also the business. So there were three Jews doing uh, Panama hats, and uh, we are the only ones uh, that remained, uh, and now we are the largest company doing this. Uh, uh, almost 80-something years old, the company, and still running uh, with the same spirit that it began. You know, the one question I should have asked at the beginning is their Panama hats are made in Ecuador. How did, how did the name Panama hat uh, come about? Ecuador is in the Pacific coast, and Panama hats were sold to Europe through Panama. So... They took the hats to Panama and they were exporting them from Panama to Europe. And that's how they got the name Panama hats. Well, let's uh, talk about weaving for a minute. As I mentioned in my introduction, uh, UNESCO has declared the artisanal weaving at the heart of the Dorsan Panama hat as, quote, an intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Uh, did UNESCO approach you about this? Uh, tell us how that designation came about. Uh, this was uh, first. Uh, uh, we try to. This is a, a something that is uh, passed from uh, children, from parents to children and grandchildren. Even though, uh, and so we wanted to preserve this thing, and we kind of approached. They were approached by UNESCO, and, and and we approached them also to to do this, and, uh, and because. This is something that it's unique, it's handmade. Each hat is really a piece of art, like in painting, because each weaver has a different uh, hand than the next one, you know, different, uh, you know, everybody, every hat is made different than the other one, even though they are similar, but each one is made uh, out of a different plant, out of a different hand, and uh, that makes it so unique. We wanted to preserve this uh, because when Ecuador became industrialized, people rather worked 
in factories or doing some other work than weaving uh, uh, weaving hats. Uh, so we really had to preserve this and to, and preserve the trade, give value to the work of the people. You know, we one of the things that uh, has been very important for us is that each of the weavers receives. A, a more than the minimum salary, all the health conditions, all the that any other a worker, a, the minimum standards a, a, the, the, the workers should receive. And this is one of the things that we have fought the most as a firm, because if we don't keep these ethical standards, a, this trade would have uh, already disappeared. So we want the weavers to have a at least a, or, or more than a, a, a the minimum income that a worker receives here. So without going into to too much detail, is the collection of the materials, the, the drying and the weaving, also part of a family tradition uh, with those who, who make the hats? Well, one of the reasons Ecuador is so unique is because of the location of Ecuador in, in the equator. And we have a lot more sun than uh, any other place in the world. And this makes it possible to cut the, 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 the stem of, of the straw, dry, you know, it, the reason the hat is so white is because of the sun. The sun bleaches the hat to be white. So it's everything comes together here in Ecuador to make possible to make the hats as they are. And it's, uh, you know, everything is done manually. Uh, the, the stems are cut manually. They're, the, the straw is made manually. Then it's dried, uh, sun-dried, and then it's woven uh, manually. Everything is manual. What we have done uh, to improve this uh, is that we have industrialized uh, how to dye the, the, the straw. You know, the straw is a natural fiber, and it's very difficult to to dye. Uh, and we have uh, created a variety of colors and put fashion into it. Uh, also, we have uh, all the processes we have done is to, to keep the natural process, but have the cut of uh, standard of what the uh, high fashion demands. And this is what we do. Well, we talked to, about the, the workers, the artisans, um, and, um, and your view uh, of, or your relationship with them. And tell us a little bit more about their families, the vendors from whom you purchase the accessories, for example, ribbons and other accessories. Um, this is, um, must be uh, after, over so many years, decades. Um, and I'm sure that some of this is handed down family to family. Your relationship with these families really must be very close. Yes, we there are around ten thousand weavers that depend from us, that we buy from them, and we have a very close relationship with them. In the fashion world, family ties count very much. So we are, uh, you know, people. Uh, we're very close to the weavers, to their families, to their needs, and we try to maintain this uh, this uh, a, a close contact only not only to transmit uh, the new fashions and the new things but also to 
make sure that everybody's doing well. And I think the biggest example of this was during the pandemic. The first week of the pandemic, the whole world closed down. And uh, for us, it was having 10,000 people uh, not working. So what we did is we reached out to them, we reached to the government to ask for permission because nobody was allowed to leave their homes because of the pandemic. So we managed to uh, reach them. Uh, we modernized the whole system. This used to be a very manual person-to-person -person business. And through Zoom and through all these new techniques, we were able to to reach out to everybody to have their, you know, in their homes, in, in the countryside, to have their cell phones. We transmitted the new fashions that we needed through pictures. We changed totally the payment system, which used to be cash, into electronic uh, payments. So we could pay people what they had to, you know, for their basic needs. And within a couple of months, the whole industry was changed from a totally manual, personal, person-to-person -person business to a really digital business in every sense. Since you know, since we start designing the hats until we make the payment, one of the things that we wanted to make sure is that you know everybody who works gets paid immediately, and uh, because they. You know, they depend, the weavers depend from what we paid for their for their livelihood, they to buy goods and to do whatever they need to do. And now we do this very efficiently through the electronic means. And it's very interesting to see how an industry changed in like a month and a half completely. Well, let's talk about the hats for a moment. Uh, you talked about changing styles, but um, what are some of the signature styles and the levels of design that uh, are associated with the Dorfson hats? We are in the high fashion world. Uh, and what we do is we periodically travel uh, to, to see the, the new designs, the new trends, the new colors. And we try to... Uh, not only follow, but to, to impose the fashion. Uh, one of the things that uh, my father used, one of the dreams of my dad was that, in terms of ecology, is that you could eat a hat and uh, not to use any unfriendly products for your health. And basically, that is what we have done. Uh, I wouldn't advise people to eat our hats, but you could, because we only use now eco-friendly products, uh, we process the water, we process uh, the dyes that we use, everything is eco-friendly now. And, uh, and that's how we have been able to keep up with high fashion and to, to be a supplier to that. The ethical things also of payments, of minimum salaries, social security, and no child labor, which uh, we keep very, very, very strong standards to to be able to comply with everything so whoever buys a hat knows that whatever is behind the hat or whoever is is paid decently treated uh, decently and no child labor and you market all over the world all over the world yes uh, 
our market as the rest of the world, half of our market is always the U.S. because of its size and the, of the market. But we export basically anywhere in the world, especially the design centers are the, our main buyers. It would be Italy and Germany and England, Japan, Singapore, all over the world, and China nowadays. Well, you were once uh, president of Ecuador's largest Jewish community, and You've lived in Ecuador. Um, tell us about the community. I know that um, in my visit, uh, we had an opportunity to see um, a high school which was sponsored uh, by the Jewish community. Um, and I think we even went to the synagogue uh, while I was there. Tell us a bit about the community and its activity. The Jewish community was founded around the same time the immigrants arrived here, which was from 1938 to 1939. It was mostly a Central European a, a, a community with the, I would say we were Orthodox, conservative, and reform at the same time. And we have remained one community like that uh, since then. Uh, most of the community were immigrants, uh, I would say 100% at the beginning. And nowadays, uh, most of these immigrants have are not there anymore. So right now, the community has really changed from an immigrant community to a very different community, which is mostly composed of the descendants of the immigrants. There has been a lot of mixed marriage or integration, and the community has been very open and welcoming to to the spouses of, of, of its members who have married Ecuadorian partners. And basically, to nowadays, that is our community. It's more, uh, we have all the services. Uh, we still have all the services a community can supply, uh, kosher food. Uh, we have a, a cemetery. We have a... We had a rabbi until a month ago, and we're in the process of hiring a new rabbi soon to continue Jewish life here. And uh, it's not so vibrant as it used to be. Uh, I think we are 400 Jews now in Ecuador. And on a comparative basis, uh, I think we are very active to and comparable to the much larger communities because we still have all the services and everything is... Uh, basically uh, uh, running. The school used to be, uh, now it's only 8% uh, Jewish uh, kids, but it's, I think, the biggest contribution that the community has given to Ecuador is a world-class uh, standard high school. And, and this is, uh, you know, people, local uh, people enjoy and uh, take advantage of it. And, are very successful. The kids that pass through the Jewish community, the Jewish school, are uh, well educated, and I think this has been a huge contribution to the country. I would say one of the biggest. Now, of course, Ecuador is a big tourist destination. Um, Ecuador, Galapagos Islands. Uh, do you meet a lot of uh, Jewish tourists who who come through uh, Quito um, for uh, a, a vacation or a tour? Yes, yes, and we even, uh, there are people who give service to these tourists uh, with kosher food, for example. Uh, we do, uh, there is more and more, 
Jewish groups that come and they have full advantage of having kosher food and all the services they need. And also we have a growing expat community of people who retire, come from the U.S. mainly to retire here in Ecuador because of uh, weather and costs and medical costs. And so it's a growing number of uh, of people who are retiring here. So they don't come to the community that much because I, I you know they are in smaller towns that usually they go there for because of weather or or economical reasons, but it's a growing expat community here. Well, you can learn more about Kay Dorfson's renowned Panama hats and Alberto's remarkable family history at K-Dorfson, D-O-R-F-C-A-U-N dot com. Uh, Alberto, really, it's uh, it's been great uh, talking with you. Uh, it's 84 years of Kay Dorfson to another 84 years uh, and, and beyond. Uh, it's It's been a real pleasure, and thank you again for being with us today. Thank you, and uh, I really was happy to, to tell our story. I was the third generation managing the business, and it survived. Now we, I have a nephew running the business, so... It survived the third generation, so I, I hope that this 84 years that you wish us will come true. Yes. We, we certainly hope so, and lots of luck, best of luck in, in all you do. Thank you again to my guest, Alberto Dorfson, for joining us, and to you for tuning into our podcast, Conversations with B'nai B'rith. We hope you enjoyed what you've heard. Uh, if you did, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with friends and others. For all of our latest content, and if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to Conversations with B'nai B'rith wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and like us on Facebook. This is your host, Dan Mariashin. Until next time, take care, everyone.